This is a pre-recorded version of the WTKA Roundtable <laughs> on WTKA, unsurprisingly, 9 o'clock Thursdays. It is pre-recorded, however, so if you call in, no one will answer. We are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider Sports Talk 1050 WTKA online at WTKA.com. Seth always joins us a few minutes early. So why don't we just stick with what we were just talking about? We will save the, you know, the Dana piece and the camp rumblings for uh, the roundtable session, with it, which will start in a few minutes. But what you think of that basketball schedule, Seth? I call <laughs> I recall it challenging. I said, no, this seems this seems a step beyond challenging. Well, I, I mean, the it's very high and very low, right? So it's this is exactly what you didn't want to schedule in the RPI era, but, like, they've fixed a lot of that. So, like, this is the kind of schedule you d- did not want a couple few years ago because, like, you have a high chance of losing your big games and a low chance of losing your, uh, your other games, and they're probably just going to drag you down. You know, both directional Michigan schools are terrible. Um, Lipscomb's terrible. Like, there's, there's – Ohio, I think, is the only interesting one – of all those teams other than playing Imani Bates, which is just going to be like, okay, Michigan fans, that's what you wanted. (laughs) Like, I'm so happy for that. (laughs) It's going to be, it's going to be an interesting watch. I mean, they're going to be all kind of eyes on that game. So yeah, uh, I'm intrigued by that one. I'm going to be an LCA for that one. Looking forward to it. But I mean, it's weird. We don't have a true road game this year, right? Like they're playing UNC at like a, a, and the thing is like UNC can move their game you know, 40 miles down the road against anyone else except for maybe Duke or something and still get UNC fans back in the place. But, like, you take them out of their home and Michigan fans are going to just pour in, right? Like, we're we're all over the country. We'll find any crack and just get into your stadium. So, like, that's that's going to be interesting because it's going to be an away game. Official, like, you know, it goes in the books as a, a mostly away game. But it's, um, I think Michigan fans will, will be known that will be seen there. It's just weird. We, I mean, you'd want to play there, right? Like, don't you want to play in these iconic courts? It's weird that they don't have a single road game, I think, at all. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, I don't know what the, you know, why you wouldn't want to play that game at home if you're Carolina. Like, uh, uh, anyway, but you Someone play them. into it. <laughs> yeah, you play them. You play UVA. You play Kentucky and London. Well, the, Carol- the Carolina thing is because Jump- Jumpman wanted to do a Champions Classic. And they have I, yeah. uh, Florida and Oklahoma are playing the other night. They have the women's teams involved, too. So Charlotte, it's a Charlotte event. It's a Jordan brand thing. But it's them trying to create a men's and women's Champions Classic kind of thing with Carolina and Michigan and a couple other Jordan schools. And it's Oklahoma and Florida that are playing each other. And they'll rotate around. So next year, Michigan's going to play Florida or Oklahoma. And the year after, although at some point I think this gets broken up because Florida can't play Oklahoma once they become conference mates. 
Uh, they can't play each other in this thing. But that's what the event is. And it's supposed to rotate around, like, not city to city. It's supposed to stay in Charlotte, it sounds like. But rotate around like the Champions Classic do does with MSU, Kentucky, Duke, and Kansas. That's what the premise of the Jumpman Invitational is supposed to be. So it's not Michigan playing Carolina and then moving it down the road. It's the Jumpman Classic's first event. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's still I it's not just the Jumpman it's still Classic. Like you're on a home game, but you're going to still but like yeah, you're, you're getting a chance to play Kentucky, like they have an iconic play. But what, what are you going to do? You're going to move that thing across the ocean, right? Like there's, there's no. Um, that was supposed to be a home home and that and, and then, that. Yeah, they'll yeah. they'll be home home yeah. after this. Yeah, because okay. I've already wimped out of the first part of it, so we're going to see if they actually have it or not. I I've been begging for ages for them to play a game at U of D. Like how cool would that be, right? Like that place would be packed. They would be the biggest thing to happen. They would make friends with everyone in Detroit for doing that. And they're a pretty like decent test. Like you're not probably not going to lose to them, but you got to come out for that game, you know, as opposed to like Eastern Michigan at the LCA. Like I, or, or who are they playing at the LCA? Is it Eastern? It's not Eastern. It's, it's Eastern. It's, it's Eastern. Eastern. God, we can't even get Bates into the, into the, into Chrysler <laughs> after all. But yeah, like who's going to go out to LCA to see them play Eastern? Like the night I before will. I want to see. Game. I want to like, see a matchup with Imani Bates. I think yes, but this I is think our job. <laughs> this is like Seth. Seth, tell me. Tell me. This is my opinion on this. I think that there's going to be an insane amount of green and white in that crowd. A lot of it will be S's on that green and white, but they're all there to root against Michigan, and they'll cheer on EMU. And there'll actually be a pretty good crowd rooting for Imani Bates. I don't Bates. think the Sparty fans really, are going to care well, enough to go to Michigan EMU. And, you know, if, I think if every EMU fan out there makes it there, that fills, like, what, a quarter of a section? Like, <laughs> No, uh, no, no. It gets at least a half a oh, at least a half a second. My, my wife went to EMU. She and none of her college friends could name a single athlete at EMU ever, <laughs> except possibly Charlie Batch. <laughs> Ron Rice? Nope, they're too young. <laughs> Charlie Batch didn't Charlie Batch and Ron Rice play at the same time? Yeah, but he, like they don't they know Charlie Batch because he played for the Lions. They don't even, uh, they yeah. even, they're like, but wait, Ron one Rice of our guys the is there? <laughs> Ron Rice played for the you Lions. You have to be too. on campus in order to like <laughs> learn these things. And what is, no one not no one at EMU is on campus. I I, I, I don't want to rat rat on EMU. I, it's it's fine school and like I. But your, a point, lot of but your point is the Battle of Washington County should be played in Washington County. Yes. Yes, yes. And if you got CMU on the schedule, have them come. You know that that still works. Um, but like that's the thing. Michigan State still plays Oakland all the time. We rarely see Oakland. Um, and UAD is another. Like the Horizon schools are better than the directional schools. And like we, I, I feel like we kind of skip them, and then all of a sudden we have like a you know a Hillsdale College or something. But we, I, I want to see, I want to see some good in-state. Rivalries. I want to see. I want to see those games a little bit. And Michigan could go there. They have decent enough stadiums. Like they, what they played a game in Butler a few years ago, and that was like a really like. Now it gets Bradley. you. It gets you used to that kind of crowd, right? You're gonna have to go on the road. Bradley, to Peoria. Yeah, Bradley wasn't very good, but it was a small, intimate, raucous environment in Peoria. Yeah, yeah, you get a chance to. In addition to those gauntlet games, you get a chance to see Michigan uh, take on a Monty Bates. You also get a chance to see them maybe. Take on both uh, both teams that have their transfers on them in Arizona State and uh, and VCU. That'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Arizona State. That's that's another one where Michigan fans are just going to be like, <laughs> 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 anyway. all right. 
<laughs> we need to pause. Pause for the cause. When we come back on the other side, Brian Cook will join us for the MGO Blow Roundtable. No Craig Ross today. We still want you to tune in, though. I mean, I know Craig, uh, Craig has his has his fans, his diehard fans, but still listen. We'll have some good things to say. And we are back, folks, here on the Michigan Insider, Sports Talk 1050, WTKA, online at WTKA.com, Sam Webb, Ira Weintraub on the other side, and our friends from MGO Blog are with us with Mr. MGO Blog himself, Brian Cook. Brian, how are you this morning? Good. How are you? Good to see you, my friend. Seth Fisher, how are you? The reason we look this tired is because we got a book out. Hail to the Victors is out. Hail the Victors exists. We did it. <laughs> All of you who didn't believe we could get it done, it's out. It's um. So you can go on our site right now, mgoblog.com slash hail22, uh, and you can buy it for 15 bucks online. Or right now we have a deal. You can get the T-shirt for this year, which is a, um, a Hurdle of Fools T-shirt. Get that plus the book plus a digital edition as soon as I uh, see that you did it and send you the email um, for fifty bucks. And if we have any left after that deal, because we've sold about half of them already, uh, then we'll put them on sale in the store. But not until we really have them in hand, which should be like at least a couple weeks. Gotcha, gotcha. All right. So highlights so you want to share some of them? Like what's what's uh, some of the unique features that we'll see in this year's Hilton Vic? Oh man, well. Craig's in it. <laughs> we got to start that off because we all know all the Craig fans. He did 1896, which is the year the Big Ten started. So if you can imagine how crazy things were getting in order to create the Big Ten, um, you've only half imagined it. There was also a game that year that they played indoors under the lights. Uh, it's like electricity is like brand new in 1893. And they're like 1896. We're like, okay, let's do this. Um, uh, Sap wrote about Rick Leach. We got uh, Tej Seth, who uh, was from Pro Football Focus. He wrote about uh, like how Michigan's incorporating analytics. And that one was pretty interesting, especially like the, the fourth down numbers and like how Michigan really kind of started going for it a lot more last year, a lot more than every other Big Ten team than Ohio State, actually. And it was right, and they got a lot of value out of that. And he kind of shows where that's, those decisions are coming from. Kyle Jones from 11 Warriors broke down kind of the metagame that's going on between Michigan's off uh, Michigan's defense and the Ohio State's offense. He like so it was like, you know, Don Brown really kind of solved Urban Meyer and then or Don Brown got solved by Ryan Day and then Ryan Day kind of got solved by Mike McDonald. He just kind of shows how that interplay has been going on and why Ohio State really can't have an answer to that right away because they've built this whole team around the same concepts that Michigan was attacking. And then uh, Ian Boyd also gets in Michigan's defense, but more future-looking, kind of, you know, we've been talking about how they're going to be more amoeba, and they're going to have to generate pass rush in different ways, and he Uh really shows exactly what we mean by that, and Michigan kind of dipped their toes in it last year. They didn't have to do a lot of it, because they could just say, Aiden Ojabo, go, Uh, but Ian really kind of shows how that whole system works. I know I'm leaving a lot about, a lot more, Adam Chef talked about uh, NIL, there's there's a bunch of them. Yeah, that is definitely talking about the defense. Definitely the buzz out that you know, generating passwords, the wrinkles that Jesse Minter added. I mean, talking to you get even from some of the offensive players, like, wow, man, that's 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 pretty clever. That's I didn't see that coming. <laughs> to being able to confuse blocking schemes and not know where pressure is coming from, he's achieving that. Yeah. So uh, at any rate, uh let's talk about the news overnight. Iyabi Anoma, Brian, former five-star kid out of Baltimore, St. Francis. 
by way of uh, Bama, Houston, and UT Martin, now a member of Michigan's football team. What do you make of that development? Um, I'm not not really expecting fireworks here because, for one, he didn't participate in spring. He's missed most of fall camp. He's coming from the FCS level where he was a decent player. <clears throat> but I think Pro Football Focus had a 72 grade for him, which is not uh, exactly Aiden Hutchinson territory. And then you just, I don't know, I watched a couple of highlight reels from UT Martin games that happened to be on, on YouTube, and he didn't jump out to me. And that's at an FCS level. So, you know, maybe he's able to get integrated and then a month or two into the season maybe have some sort of Josh Uche role where he's out there for pass rush on third downs or whatever. But honestly, unless he was hurt late in that season, I didn't see a whole lot that makes me think that he's going to jump in and, and be a big contributor. Now, he did have much better numbers midseason and he dropped off, so the injury theory is possible. But yeah, I'm not expecting a big to-do <laughs> here. Seth? Yeah, I mean, I mean, like we can only analyze this from the football standpoint, and obviously there's a lot going on other than the football standpoint, right? Like he... He did this not on debate. He got kicked off the team at Alabama. He got kicked off the team at Houston. Uh, and that probably set his career back a lot because he didn't play in 2019 or 2020. He's practicing, obviously. But, you know, that that's it, it's hard to come back from that. Um, but you would expect a guy who's going to be an impact player, especially an impact player in, you know, however many weeks. I'm, like Michigan's schedule ramps up, so they don't really need him until October. But, like, even then. You would expect a guy who's going to be like a Mike Dana level player to have exploded against FCS competition. Like, yeah. those, like it, it should be obvious. It should be like, okay, this guy is just so much, especially with his, you know, he was not just a five star. He was ranked higher than Peppers. So, like, the, I, you know, two years later, but like that was the level we're talking about, or like just under Rashawn Gary level. So, for someone who had that much talent, you would expect there to be just like, Okay, these guys can't stop him. And anytime he wants, he can go get a sack. Uh, there, I mean, the take kind of looks like Brian's right. They look like there's some motor issues. He wasn't starting. He was kind of like the the backup edge guy. So you know, maybe was injured. Maybe there's other things going on. You hope that Michigan, with you know, with Biff here, his old you know, his old coach, his old guy, that's going to make things uh, better. Maybe there's. But like all that stuff is just so hidden from us. There's n- they're not going to get into his psychology and like that kind of stuff with the fans. So from a football standpoint, I think I would like it much better if Michigan w- didn't seem like desperate on the edge this year for edge help. Like if they were coming, bring this guy in, saying like, "Look, we're going to spend a year getting him back on track. He's gonna we're going to figure everything out. We're going to train him in the defense, and then next year you're going to see some fireworks." I like that idea much more than I like the idea of taking a guy and hoping that his natural talent that we haven't seen in three years is going to all of a sudden make a huge difference on this team. See, I I guess I don't see it as a, I don't see it as much of a risk. I don't, I think it's a very low risk with a, with a reasonable reward on the other side, if you can get it out of him, Mm -hmm. Uh, because I remember this dude, and I was telling you guys off air, I remember when he was discovered as a prospect at Michigan's Baltimore Satellite Camp in, back in 2016. I mean, he was this basketball prospect out of Randallstown that even the Baltimore people, uh, the Baltimore high school reporters, one guy from the Baltimore Sun didn't know who he was. 
It's like, who is this guy coming out here? You know, blur off the edge, but he was only like 190 pounds. So you had to see him get bigger. You had to see how he, you know, he took real contact. How would it translate? He goes to St. Francis. We saw him the next year at the Bowie State uh, Satellite Camp, and he looked much, he didn't work out, but he just was different. He was bigger physically. It really filled out. Uh, you could see the the talent starting to translate into production on the field at St. Francis. But, you know, as he rose as a prospect, you also start to hear some more things, uh, things that eventually uh, resulted in uh, it not working out at Bama and not working out at Houston. So to, to me, between having other St. Francis guys here, having extreme familiarity with the head coach, because, you know, again, he, he met Harbaugh, knew Harbaugh. Harbaugh is really one of the ones responsible for putting him on the map. Um, and you have a year under your belt. You've been through a lot. You hope that he's matured. And there's no pressure for him to come in and be the guy, Seth. I mean, if he if he comes in and he does something great, maybe you can get Mike Dana-level situational pass rush. If you don't, he's Jordan Whitley. And this his case is much more like Jordan Whitley's <laughs> than it is Mike Dana's, right? I know they're di- we're talking different positions. But Jordan Whitley was the same kind of guy, moved around a lot, was was off the field. Yeah, some that's fine, but you got you got nothing issues. out of Jordan Whitley last year, and and that and that. But what did it hurt? I no, I, I, I don't I don't mind it. I I mean I don't know what the scholarship situation is. I know that they're um, if he gets a scholarship, they're up three right now. But I mean it's also plausible he's walking on. Who I don't know what the situation is because the school wasn't the one who announced it. The reason they found is someone on the message board. Just got, like saw him in the student directory. That's how they realized he was on campus. I, um, the risk is like you said. He, you know, there were other things that got him kicked off of Bama, got him kicked off from Houston, and Michigan's got a really good locker room uh, going on right now. And you know, you, I, I, I think there's a thing in every single coach, and I'm sure Harbaugh falls in this too. Every coach of every sport ever looks at a guy and goes, man, see all that talent? I'm the guy who can access it. I'm a genius coach. I'm the one who knows how to get the best out of this guy. And, I mean, everyone can develop some, but a lot of times what you're looking at is innate, right? Like Xavier Simpson is my favorite athlete for this example because, like, he just had that drive. Like Xavier Simpson, no matter who was coaching him, that guy was going to go and teach himself how to play basketball better and develop his skills. And it wasn't like he needed to have – a great coach next to him. He was going to be using to do that for himself. Aiden Hutchinson, Quiddy Pay, like examples at that position, are guys who kind of you didn't have to worry about that. And I think that that is a lot more uh, a, a bigger part of what makes a great player than people realize. And you know, like you said, there's no risk. Fine, but unless you know he's not. Um, if he comes in, he thinks he's supposed to get playing time immediately, and he's you know, sitting there at the very bottom of the depth chart and Derek Moore passes him again. And it's like, okay, now what? Yeah. Look, um, as I have dug into sort of the fall camp rooms, I'm actually going to write about defense today. uh, You hear a lot of confidence about what they are in the secondary, surprisingly, right? When, when you lose Brad Hawkins and, and, um, and, and of course, Dax Hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, you lose those guys. I mean, you you lose your your top edge rushers. But hearing some uh, some positive, really positive things about how they're doing against an offensive line that I expect to be that I expect to stand out. The one thing that I don't hear is about who is that one guy that's looking like he is an ace pass rusher. 
And they don't seem to have that guy. They don't seem to be very concerned about it because they're generating pressure in different ways, as you say. But if you got an opportunity to maybe have a guy who just gives you natural pass rush ability, you throw him out on third down and say, and you pin your ears back, go get the go get the quarterback. I, man, you take a you take a gamble on that if if you feel good about uh you know Biff vouching for him, which had to have happened. I, I don't think that they make this move without that happening. I don't think they make that move absent Biff Poji being on staff. Oh, I think you not. add that to the equation at the very least. You can you can be certain or you can be confident that he won't be a locker room problem. You tell me I got the chance to have a situational pass rusher and I very little chance of having a locker room problem if it doesn't work out. I'll take that risk. Yeah, that I mean, that's fine. I just as a fan, I'm probably not paying as much attention to what's going on. I'm not looking for his name as much as ah, I'm yeah. looking to see, like, is Derek Moore coming through? Right. You're 100 percent correct. I, and I I tried to convey that this morning here <laughs> in saying in, in offering. I feel like Mike saying to Mike Dana, I don't know how you guys feel about it. I feel like saying he he his ceiling as a Mike Dana level pass rusher or a situational pass rusher is like this huge deal. That would be an amazing development. The response I got is, oh, you're shortchanging the guy. This oh, is God. a six six two hundred seventy pounds. You're shortchanging Mike pounds. Dana, man. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> that that was a dude who I mean he destroyed Matt competition, and then it translated. <clears throat> I, you know he wasn't the same player against this level of competition, but like that guy went to the pros. But that's the thing, Dana was like a superstar to pro football focus, right? right? Like they had the numbers on him, and the only question was how much is that going to translate? Is he going to get stuck on elite uh, elite tackles? Hundred percent correct again, yeah. Seth, and that's why I say that's why I said his case talking about Iabianoma is much closer to Jordan Whitley. Different position, mind you, but Jordan Whitley took a circuitous route to Michigan. There are a lot of off-field questions and motor questions and all those things that followed him to Michigan. It's this is a much more similar deal to that than Mike Dana. So to say. Yeah, if he winds up being Mike Dana, they they've won and they won in a big way. I I I do want to just point like I don't like I said we don't know the off field stuff. My wife works in that world and deals with a lot of kids who kind of get stuck in the system or get stuck with a reputation and then just get treated that way and and no one looks at what the problem is. Um, I don't know. I'm not going to say this guy's got a psychological issue. I'm saying that no. a lot of times people are a lot have a lot more potential than you than you think and. If Michigan's going to be in the business of every year bringing in a guy like Jordan Whitley uh, and it rescues his reputation and he ends up with a Michigan graduate degree instead of wherever he was going to be. Um, and, you know, these are guys that they know and they and they know have, has that kind of potential. I love that. If that's what's really going if that's what's going on here, they should they should be doing that. And like you said, there's not a lot of risk for that. Like you could end up with somebody who is 400 pounds and gets in the backfield. You could end up with a guy who is a, you know, top three overall recruit uh, level talent who gives you a, like a back half of the season similar to Ojabo, at least in one area. But it's it's very I'm unlikely. I'm <laughs> it, curious when you guys watch him, Ryan, and I want both of you guys on this. You know, I haven't seen his UT Martin tape. I can tell you watching him in high school, he was a guy that had exceptional get off, like exceptional get off. That was one of the things that really stood out very uh you know when it came to bending the edge and i mean very quick you know from from zero to ten or whatever whatever metric you want to say 
very fast straight line speed and or short area burst. Did you see any of that on film at any point? Um, honestly, no. And it was to the point where I thought he was being coached like that for whatever reason. Like it, it didn't even look like most of the time that he was trying to get an edge rush. So again, like his stats in these games were like, you know, four assisted tackles, two solo tackles, not something where he had much of an impact. And then you look at what he was doing earlier in the year. And it's like, okay, maybe this wasn't him at a hundred percent. Cause it was, it was honestly very strange for both of his playing time. Cause he was all OVC as we're talking about. So why wasn't he on the field most of the time in their playoff game? So yeah, I didn't, I didn't really get much of a vibe from him, but it, the, the numbers don't add up. The, the play doesn't add up to me. So I'm hoping that there's some explanation for it other than, you know, he just isn't the guy everybody says he is, which I don't think is true. What did you guys say Pro Football Focus said about him? Well, so they had him 10th on their list of edge prospects for the next NFL draft. And they're mostly just going on his reputation as a recruit. But they did mention that their season grade for him was a 72, which is middling. You know, it's if you had if Michigan has a weak side end who's a 72 this year from pro football focus, that is not chase Winovich. That is not Mike Dana. That it's is Taylor Upshaw. Yeah. It's, it's a replacement level player basically. And that's at the FCS level. So their grading does not really encourage in terms of like what we're going to see here. Cause Mike Dana as as uh, Seth mentioned, he was an all American to pro football focus. Mm-hmm. Like he was, he was grading in the nineties. And, and so, you're like, all right, well, that we'll see if that translates. Now, does the 72 at the FCS level translate? No. Does this guy still have potential because of his ridiculous physical qualities? Yes. But coming in halfway through fall camp just feels like it's a, a bridge too far. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, just manage your expectations. Manage yeah. your expectations. So, you know, I, if you're asking me for a prediction, probably somewhere between Mike Dana and Jordan Whitley, but we can hope, right? Yeah, nothing wrong with hoping I, that he can I just I, I I don't want the fans to like get mad when this guy doesn't match his recruiting profile here, okay? Like that this is that's not what's happening here. I think the Jordan Whitley comparison is probably the most likely scenario. And, you know, it's not a it's not always about whether you're gonna get like a superstar. Like if you there's there are ways you can get value out of a guy without getting the maximum value everyone thought they were going to get out of him. And like I said, if it really was a football thing, I would probably be more excited for next year than this year because you need your, you need time. From whatever he was at UT Martin, he needs time to develop, not to mention Michigan's system is not an easy one. Like the reason Does he have see, huh? another year? So yeah. I don't know. I haven't gotten answers on eligibility uh, questions yet. So he, um, so he had to sit out a transfer year because he – Transferred twice. Yes. And he didn't play in the COVID year. So he doesn't get an extra year for that because he didn't play. But you didn't. Or everyone does everybody, gets an extra year from that. Yeah. Everybody that gets an extra year for 2020. Okay. Well, then so, he should have a, a one more year. Yeah. He's a junior fifth as far as I know. Because you get one red shirt uh, even if you're using it for a transfer. So his red shirt was 2019. He played in 2018 for Alabama. And mm-hmm. enough that like he was named to the SEC all-freshman team. However, PFF's numbers were terrible tackles. for him. Yeah, like it was nothing. It was like 36. It, or maybe it was 90 snaps, and like maybe 10 of them were, were 
actually mattered snaps. But yeah, he but he played in 2018. He sat out 2019 because he was transferring to Houston. Sat out 2020 because he was transferring UT Martin. Um, both of those become red shirts because 2020 is a red shirt for everybody, which would make him a junior slash fifth year player right now. So yeah, I mean he could be on the team next year as well. The same I think was true. Uh, there's, there's several other guys who like you look at him, you're like, yeah, how the heck does that guy still have eligibility next year? But they do. It's it's, yeah, it's 2020. It's gonna be be with us for a while. Yeah, talking <laughs> about a dude that I saw in 2016. Like, man, that dude's still around. I was shocked to see that Eibianoma was still around. Who's who's the the linebacker who played for Cincinnati? What was it Antonio Kennard? Like uh-huh. Rodriguez recruited him, and like his eligibility was up last year. And I was like, <laughs> what is going on? Drew Singleton. <laughs> Is is uh is applying to play this year for Rutgers? How long ago was that? I remember yeah. watching Drew Singleton play with like what was it with Rashawn Gary's team in the uh, in the big house when they were in high school. Like that's that's how long ago that guy came to college and yeah he's he's still in the league. That's twenty twenty is gonna be with us a while. Uh, all right, so guys, let's let's segue into this is gonna be the big question for Michigan football. Well into the season, as we've all been predicting, the quarterback battle. We've all heard things about it. I wrote about it. Jim Harbaugh talked about it at length in the press conference yesterday. He laid out three scenarios. One guy pulls away and, you know, is the guy. Um, you know, they they the most likely scenario is this thing goes neck and neck and goes into the season, uh, and we need some games to actually determine who the guy is, and that's how I think it's going to go. Uh, at this point, I'm curious uh, what you guys have been hearing and what, how you guys think it'll play out. Yeah, I mean, it's just hard to see a guy who was the starting quarterback for Big Ten champions to not enter the season as the starter. And like what at that point is the impetus to actually make a switch? Uh, and basically, the only thing I can think of is that, you know, you're down like 13 to seven to Iowa in the third quarter and you're just not moving the ball. and you're like, all right, well, we need J.J. McCarthy to see if we can break this open, and then McCarthy goes and wins the game. That's that's the scenario that I think you see a switch. is like Michigan is struggling in a game, and they need to spark, and, and McCarthy gives them that spark. Um, <clears throat> I've been going over Seth's UFRs in preparation for writing the season preview, and there's definitely a Jake Rudock vibe from McNamara's season, where first half of Jake Rudock's season at Michigan he was really bad and then he had a bye week and he took off and you can definitely see that in in Seth's charting and so not only is he a guy who won the Big Ten but his overall level of performance is probably underrated by the pro football focus types because they're just taking the whole season but if you look at the trajectory of that season it's going in the right direction yeah so I looking I wrote about this the other day my first uh, day back from vacation just digging into the quarterback battle to that point and you know what i was getting was that Cade had been the better performer up to that point not to the point where he was blowing the doors off the in the competition but that he had taken a step in the offseason and that you got to remember that jj didn't play in the spring he, i mean he he took mental reps but there was some rust to to work through so, yeah, so did i <laughs> and, and then and then you also have the the other piece where you know he's going to give you some wild moments but then there are those times where he's going you know his his arm is feeling good and he's going 
He's going to try to see, can, can I get this in there, right? There's one or two times per practice where that was happening. And when you go in against a guy who takes great care of the football, that's going to stand out even more. And that's not to say JJ's, you know, uh, turnover prone or anything like it. I mean, dude had like six INTs his entire high school career. There, so there are a few football. weird dudes who are like superstars as sophomores. But even like Chad Henney, who was a robot, right? His he was he was a junior when he really broke out, right? Like he his freshman year, they kept things super simple for him. Probably could have beaten Notre Dame if they hadn't. But like your his freshman year was like okay, throw to Braylon Edwards, and his sophomore year was like okay, we're gonna get Avant open for you, and you're gonna get the ball there, and then we're just gonna run a whole lot. Um, and then his junior year was the real breakout. That's usually how it goes with quarterbacks, especially in a system where you it takes just a lot of knowledge and a lot of like getting used to things. And even, you know, Cade is two years older than him, even though they got the same eligibility because 2020 is weird, but like it, it took him until midway through last season to figure things out. So be a little bit patient, please. Like if JJ McCarthy is not seizing the reins, that doesn't mean it's not happening. Like what well, see, you're seeing right now is what it looks like. It, what it happening looks like. Yeah. And, and look, you know, that was, that was a snapshot of practice through like two and a half weeks. The last couple of practices, you know, JJ was, it, he had wild practices, not wild moments, you know, from Sunday scrimmage to the next day. Those were like, I was told those were like two of his best practices. So he was at least starting to trend up. And I still, I am still of the belief. This is my opinion. This is not any inside Intel from any player or coach. This is strictly my opinion. And I want to qualify it as such. I think he's still going to, I think he's going to win the job in the season. I, I think he's going to you know, continue to, to trend up because there was definitely some rust to work off. You're, you're competing against a guy who is better. Okay. To step, stepped up his game, which you want to see makes you makes the other guy raise his game too. But just that all those traits that we see and, you, you know, putting them on the move more and making those, you know, making those throws on the move. I just think that those playmaking skills, as they get deeper into to the seasons, uh, specifically Big Ten play, are going to be too hard to ignore. They know that both guys can win them 10 games. This is one thing one guy told me. He said, both guys can win us 10 games. Who can win us 12? And I think that will be the assessment, that J.J. can win them 12. That's that's what I think they're gonna, the conclusion they're going to reach now. They didn't tell me that, but that's what I think is going to I think it takes, it takes more to unseat Cade. And like the the difference between like you know any <clears throat> four year starter you can name and what's going on here is Cade McNamara is a good quarterback. That's the piece that I think most people are forgetting here. Cade right. McNamara came in and was and and is a good quarterback. He didn't just win the Big Ten by handing the ball off. Like Brian said, his season. Yeah, wait, 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 wait. He did. Uh, he did. <laughs> he, did. <laughs> he did. He did come around did the second not. half, like Ryan said. Um, but the the other side of it, though, the very end of the season, uh, he you saw him against Georgia, and that's the thing. You you need someone who's transcendent. You need somebody if you're gonna break through a defense that level. And now we're talking about like what happens if Michigan gets the playoffs, or you know, let's say they're in the Rose Bowl against a really good defense. You you want a guy who's going to be able to break the system because he's so good. And that's what you get at the top, top, top level of quarterbacks. That's what we're waiting for JJ to, to become getting there takes a very long time, no matter how much talent you have. 
But like when we're talking, when you're saying who's going to win his 12 games, the guy you need to win 13 games or 14 games or 15 yeah. games is the guy who's going to be, you know, there's no defense that can stop him. Because in the end, there's always going to be somebody with leverage and he can get the ball there no matter where it is on the field. And no matter how good your pass rush is, he can get he can escape it. And you got to commit resources to the run game because any moment he could keep it and run down your throat. That kind of guy breaks the game. And they're waiting for J.J. to become that. I still think that that's in the future. And at this point in his development, he's probably at the level where, like you said, they're probably like BB plus level right now. And it's it's not worth it. Like getting the way you, you knock him off track is by getting him hurt or getting him hit a whole bunch. So, I mean, you got McNamara in there. McNamara is not losing the job at the beginning of the season because he won the Big Ten last season. The players like him. He's a good quarterback. So I keep coming back to this, but you're a team. You need both of these guys if you want to get what you want to get. Yeah. So, listen, I I think that to, to get the best assessment of J.J. with him, obviously, doing better in practice, which word is, I mean, he wasn't doing poor. Let me frame this correctly. He wasn't doing poorly. It's that Cade had stepped his game up and he was performing better and, and taking care of the ball uh, at, a, at a better clip. So you give him the edge, at least that was what I was hearing, you know, from from the inside, not in any press conference. Uh, but now with him trending up, if you're going to make the determination to unseat a guy like that, I think it was you that said it, Brian, you can't unseat an incumbent who has stepped this game up in practice. It's um, I, You just cannot you cannot do it. It's gonna well, take I mean, game. It's gonna it's gonna take games, and it's gonna take games where JJ gets like you know a couple, you know, three, four series in a row. Maybe one guy gets a quarter, and then the next guy gets the next quarter. You know, you give him an opportunity where he's not looking over his shoulder and he's coming out. Uh, you know, the next play or the next series. I think they they have the luxury of being able to do just that in the first four games. I think you're gonna see both guys get you know, equal or if not, or close to equal snaps in those games. And that go a long way towards uh, furthering their assessment of who the quarterback should. So one thing that jumped out from the analysis you were doing last year, Sam, is whenever you had Devin Gardner or Al Borges on, they were like, look at all, you got to take the shot. You got to take the yeah. shot. Like this guy's open. That's the design of the plays to get this guy open. You got to take the shot. Yeah. And if McNamara does that like if he stops being so fond of checkdowns and when there's a shot there he's taking a shot because I gotta tell you these receivers are gonna get open and they're gonna catch the ball like I've been going over Cornelius Johnson film and throw that man the ball um but if he can do that like if he's not sort of inherently a conservative quarterback who's just gonna check down more often than he should then I think he can hold the job all year because one of the things that Pro Football Focus tracks is deep shot accuracy rate, and he was fifth in the country last year. So if he's actually taking the deep shots, yeah, the ones he threw, right? <laughs> then, then yeah, he can hold the job. Yeah, because the ability to identify and hit those shots, like that's going to be real hard to supplant, especially if he's able to keep those interceptions down, which he was excellent at last year. Like you mentioned, JJ only had six interceptions in in high school, but yeah, there was some freshman stuff and. Aside from that one interception against uh, Ohio State, I don't think you can say that about McNamara. And for a first-year starter coming off the COVID year, who is basically in, in his 
well, that technically he's a second year starter, but the COVID year is like, man. So I, I feel like that's encouraging and he's not going to be JJ McCarthy, right? He's not going to be able to run zone reads very effectively. He's not going to throw it across his body 50 yards downfield to Dalen Baldwin in stride. That's not happening. Mm-hmm. But the thing that can keep him ahead of JJ McCarthy is if he is Drew Brees, if he is Tom Brady, where his mental processing is at the level where, yeah, he doesn't have the biggest arm in the world. He's not the fastest guy, but it just doesn't matter. Uh, can he be Aiden O'Connell? Why? Why am I Purdue's saying quarterback? Aiden? Well, here's here's what I mean by that. Let me bear with me. Mich- when both teams they played Michigan State in back to back weeks last year against Michigan State, uh, I think K through for what was it like three seventy three. Was the uh, was the number that he threw for I, in that I, game? I I believe whatever it was, it was it was a lot. He had a great game that game. He threw across the middle in that game. Yeah, uh, it was it, it was a good game. It was a good game, but that was one of the games that that Borges and and Devin really cited the most. Like, hey man, you gotta you gotta make this throw. You gotta make that throw. It, it seemed a bit it, it seemed a bit uh, harsh at the time to some because he had just thrown for three hundred seventy yards. The next week. Aiden O'Connell threw for 536, right? And they won that game. And so can you be Aiden O'Connell? Can you can you take that leap this year? Because we know Michigan State, you could throw for 500 yards on that Michigan State defense last year. <laughs> that was the kind of defense they had. Do you Can you take more meat off the bone in the passing game this year? If he can do that, to your point, Brian, I agree. Then he'll hold on to the job if he can do that. Yeah, I mean, the thing that our- – the other side of that argument is like if you look at Michigan's backs, they will benefit tremendously from a zone read game where you have to respect the quarterback because they're lightning fast. And if you are playing an 11 and 11 run game, so there's one guy who's unblocked who's probably a safety, like Blake Corum's going to dust that guy a lot. Donovan Edwards is going to dust that guy a lot. And so with Hassan Haskins, you know, he can make three, four yards after contact. So the nature of your run game doesn't have to be as like, you know, home run hitting. But if you have McCarthy absorbing guys, getting guys confused, pulling guys out of position, Michigan's backs are going to be perfect for taking advantage of that situation. So mm-hmm. I can, I can see it both ways really. And yeah. uh, I, I, it'll be interesting to see probably that Iowa game is when the rubber is really going to start hitting the road. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right. We're late for a break, so let's take a break here. We'll come back on the other side with more MGO Blog Roundtable on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket. And we are clear on the radio, and if you guys have not yet seen, the new TV contract has been released. And what is The uh, media rights deal for billions of dollars for uh, the Big Ten. That includes four of the next seven Big Ten championship games will be on Fox, but the others will be on NBC or CBS. And the Big Ten Women's Basketball Championship game will now air on CBS and be on network television for the first time. I'm just digging through. There's a big, there's a whole lot of information with right. it. But some news out there for you. But in the meantime, everybody should go to mgoblog.com slash hail22. Oh, no. <laughs> they are uh, Big Ten is projected evenly, they eventually distribute between 80 and $100 million per year to each school. The, uh, the word that leaps out on McMurphy's article to me is peacock. <laughs> Yeah, there are some streaming only games, but that's not the only. There will there are games that are not streaming. NBC has a lot of games on TV too, but they will be streaming some things too. They're the uh, yes, that is an interesting one, and there will be eventually some stuff on Paramount Plus too. Although, if Peacock does Big Ten hockey the way they do Notre Dame hockey, I will happily subscribe. Like 
I will be all over that because it's always like you get your Big Ten plus. For... No, he. By the way, no, he did not fumble in a crucial point in that game. He did not. <laughs> that was that was not. Odd. How many times we had to go over this play? Uh, yeah, he uh, he did though. He, he fumbled. Yeah, but under, it, it went out was of bounds. No, 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 no. There were two fumbles in that game. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, I got you. He fumbled the one that was, yeah, the, the, the quorum one was not on him. Yeah. Yeah, that's the one this guy's talking about. He, he's talking about the one that that Blake uh, didn't didn't know was a handoff or was supposed to be a handoff. Right. So. Yeah. I, the uh, I mean the 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 Big Ten contract. Like, I can't get super excited about that. Like, I love the fact that program is going to get more money. Yay! But you know, where's that money coming from? It's more ads. And Fox packs more ads into a game than anybody. So it's like, man, I I tell you, you know, part of me is is rooting for more games on CBS. Uh, I can't wait for the Big Ten Championship game to be on CBS or NBC because, man, Fox, they're killing me with this the the licensing for to use footage for the man. They want sixty five thousand dollars. We're back in about a minute, guys. Seth, I know five thousand dollars is break down. But Wait. our our rundowns for the games on the radio, depending upon the network, they don't change. Like our rundowns don't change. Like the formats don't actually change. They might throw in an extra network break here or there, but they don't actually change the the formats for Michigan football on the radio are the same from game to game. And there's almost no variance. NBC is the one that actually sometimes gives variance when they play Notre Dame. But we have so. basically no different format. They might throw in an extra couple of network breaks that we don't that don't impact what we do, but the formats actually are exactly the same. Peacock's getting eight football games a year and thirty-two to forty-seven basketball games. That's a lot of Big Ten basketball games. That's a lot of basketball games. All right, guys, we're back in about ten seconds. So we don't have to look for any more games on the what is it B one G plus? Is that going to go away? Well, for basketball, I don't think that really happens, but. And now back to the newest Peacock subscribers <laughs> on the MGO Blog Roundtable in five, four, three. All right, so let's get back to it, guys. Uh, big news breaking this morning. Um, expected news at that, though, that the Big Ten media rights deal uh, is done. And uh, the numbers are huge. Uh, seven year, $7 billion, $7 billion media rights deal. Uh, the Big Ten eventually expected to pay out uh, 80 to $100 million per year to each of its 16 members. Your reaction, fellas? Uh, I mean, these days, I, I don't. the numbers don't really matter to me that much because like, they have enough money to keep all their coaches who want to stay because if they're not baseball coaches. Oh. Um, well, I mean, there's there's a, I mean, the, the Big Ten's a mid major, and I know baseball, I'm the one who said it. But uh, what I'm looking at in Brett McMurphy's article about this is that there are eight football games on Peacock annually, and 32 to 47 basketball games. So part of the reason that you're getting this like record deal is because now there's a streaming service that is going to be I'm not going to say mandatory for Michigan fans because I don't think any of Michigan school uh basket uh, football games are going to be on on right. Peacock but uh for a lot of fans of the conference are going to have to get that if they want all their stuff so 
it's five bucks a month. It's another drop in the bucket, but you see how that adds up. Seth? Yeah. I mean, we, we were talking for a long time about how this is all going to work out and how a la carte's going to happen because, like, the whole cable system got was destroyed by streaming. And the way it seems to be happening is big companies are jumping in and grabbing big chunks so that you have to subscribe to, like, every single service. So, like, you know, we're going to be Peacock subscribers now, I guess, because, like, I can't miss other Big Ten football games. Uh, Paramount Plus seems to be on there. Fortunately, I get that through 24-7, I think. And there you go. <laughs> so That's right. You get, a, you get a membership over at the MichiganInsider.com. You ought, or annual anyway, you automatically get Paramount Plus. So there you go. That, that is that was a that was a nice little perk. They like sent me a little <laughs> reminder email. Like, by the way, do you know you have this? And I go, great, I'll, I can watch Star Trek now. And my wife said, no, we can't. We're not watching Star Trek. <laughs> she already sat through all TNG episodes. She's not doing it again. Anyway, <laughs> like we're gonna be Mayor Kingstown. Watch Mayor Kingstown. That's a good one. Okay. Well, this was great. We're we're gonna be subscribers of everything now, and that's where the money's coming from. The question with this like. Okay, wow, big, big number. It's not like money just kind of just appears, right? Someone's paying for it. It's not when they added Rutgers and they were going to like put the Big Ten Network on the regular tier in New York metropolitan area because of it. The people paying for that was everyone who has cable in the New York metropolitan area. That's where the money came from. This time the money's coming from people who have to subscribe to streaming services that they aren't subscribed to already. And probably more ads in like packed in there the way Fox does it. So it, like we're paying for this ultimately. So already some questions coming in and um, it, it gets to some other news items from earlier this week. So starting with this one, that's a ton of dough. Wow. What will Notre Dame do? So there was a report out of the sports business journal earlier this week that had NBC ready to pay uh, six, I think Notre Dame, 60 million. Correct. Right. And that there will be a part of this Big Ten media rights deal and that that would be the setup for Notre Dame playing more Big Ten teams, namely Michigan, sooner than what is it, 2033 that they're supposed to play? Do you anticipate this having that effect, NBC being a part of this, this media rights deal? And do you think Notre Dame looks at $60 million is enough to maintain independence? Um, I don't know. That's going to be up to them. Like they just lost their head coach to LSU. So that's got to be a little bit of a flashing warning sign. They probably upgraded though. So maybe they don't care very much. And like, what does that do for the rest of their sports? And do they care about it? You know, like ACC is a fine place to, to store your, your other sports. And they have a grant of rights. That's, in 10 years down the road. So you don't have to worry about them disintegrating for a while. Uh, long-term, they might be unable to keep up with the Joneses because that $40 million a year, if that gap is that large, then you're going to start getting facilities gaps and you're not going to be able to retain all your coaches. And that's, that's the point at which I think that they might have to make a decision because mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> Yeah, as Brian gets the Leo people just watch Brian get interrupted by the kid. Um, yeah, but, well, but he's right about the uh, the fact that they could they could end up forced into this. But what Notre Dame's doing, and Jack Swarbrick's been pretty much consistent on this, they find every single way to squirm out of joining the Big Ten. So every single time we've had like one of these instances, we're like, okay, yeah. now they have to join the Big Ten. 
they find a way, right? Like joining the because the Big East fell apart, and it's like now what are you going to do with your basketball team or name? And they got the ACC deal to work out, and what they gave away for that makes it harder for them to join the Big Ten now. And this they keep kicking the can down the road. Notre Dame has a quixotic but very serious desire to stay independent that the rest of us are all kind of ignoring every single time we talk about this. They will Mm -hmm. find a way. And the way it seems they're trying to find now, because what are you going to do, not play the Big Ten when we have all of your rivals? So (laughs) the way they're trying to do it now is to dip a toe in the Big Ten, use the Peacock Network thing to, to, to make that happen, have some sort have that be part of the rights deal so that they can and that money should also come from that as well. Notre Dame wants their cake and eat it too. And the only way it stops happening is if the Big Ten says join or die. All right. So here's the other news item uh, that came out uh, yesterday. So the UC Board of Regents, they met uh, and sort of echoing the sentiment that was previously expressed by Gavin Newsom said that there might be some measures they can take to block UCLA from following through on joining the Big Ten. They said that, you know, they they did not relinquish their uh, their ability to act in in on matters like this. Uh, They still they maintain them, even though they delegated or they they, you know, bestowed some of that ability upon the president. They maintain the right to uh, exert that influence when they saw fit and this might be one of those moments they said all options including blocking uh ucla's uh departure all options are on the table what say you about that uh does usc care how <laughs> 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 do usc cares did i say usc i meant UCLA. No, no, UCLA. no 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 like but ucla but like like when they announced usc and ucla it was like okay we got usc uh, and someone else so <laughs> like if if uh, USC doesn't care, then the Big Ten is just going to be like, all right, who's a private university? Stanford. And then there you go. Let me read this quote real quick. This is from UC system attorney Charlie, Charlie Robinson to the Los Angeles Times uh, yesterday. He said, it's important to understand that when the regents delegated authority to the president, they didn't give it away or lose it. Essentially, what they did was extend it such that authority was with the regents and the president, which, as I said before, which means they might want to step in and block this. When I asked that question specifically, the attorney said all options are on the table. Is this just posturing? You know, Ira's premise is this is just pro- this is just posturing to get Cal as a part of this deal. Do you guys buy that? No. Uh, welcome. Hey, everyone here in the Midwest, welcome to California politics. This is a part of the world that we've just been able to ignore and leave out there. But I, I know a few people who work in politics, and to a man, they say when you start getting into California politics, it's a whole different world. I don't even think it's about getting Cal into the Big Ten. I don't think it's about football necessarily. It's about voters. And elected people in California cannot afford to get Stanford grads mad at them, Cal grads mad at them. You uh, see, it's a humongous system, and people are mad especially people who are not invited, are mad about this. And it's a political thing right now. Just like people got super mad about gambling, uh, about sports gambling, only when those companies kept on advertising so badly that everyone was like, these ads have to stop. And then all of a sudden, every politician in the country cared. I think that's where that's coming from. It's California politics. Brian? I, I, it's hard to predict. Um, 
I mostly know about California housing politics. <laughs> I know far too much about. I, I open uh, the door, Brian, if you want to walk in. <laughs> no, 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 no. I I think that Cal's a long shot in any possible Big Ten expansion, right? Because they don't bring anything. They don't bring football. They don't bring basketball. I'm sure they have some non-revenue sports that they're totally awesome at, but eh, it doesn't really move the needle. So from a UC systems perspective, I guess it's like, does the departure of UCLA from the Pac-12 hurt Cal enough that you want to stop that? And does it not benefit UCLA more than that? It's, I don't know. I have a hard time seeing them go through with uh, with blocking the move, but who knows? Mm-hmm. All right. Before we go, tell the folks one more time about Hail to the Victors 22, Seth. Yeah, we just kind of opened the door for uh, 1896 season because that's when the Big Ten was formed in the first place. And one of the questions at that moment was, what do we do about Notre Dame and Nebraska? And they looked at it and they said, eh, let's just let's just keep them from forming their own conference. But, I mean, this stuff has been going on for a long time. And uh, that's why we have a history section in Halo of the Victors because this stuff comes up again. And the p- book is out. Um, we've already sold half of them, so if you do want to get on it, especially oh, if you awesome. want to get a print copy, you have to go to uh, mgoblog.com, Hail22 right now, and jump on that. I think we just passed 600. That is awesome. All right. I get. Wait, can, I mean, do I have to order my copy, or can I just get it from one of, one of my fellas, one of my guys? <laughs> we can get just, you a copy. <laughs> we'll, we'll take care of you. I'm not saying. dropping off a box this year, though. It's there. I... I, I, I the problem is I didn't get enough paper. To be honest, like I would have printed a lot more. It's just paper's insane this year, so. Gotcha. Yeah. All right, fellas. Uh, appreciate your time as always. We'll see you next week. The rest of you will see you tomorrow here on the Michigan Insider on Sports Talk 1050 WTK, the ticket, official voice of University of Michigan Sports, Ann Arbor, a cumulus state.